a year that will go down in Nobel history as yet another exception to the tradition due to the continued pandemic situation. Stockholm City Hall, which is normally the venue for the Nobel banquet, is now the stage for this year's slightly different prize ceremony. And now people are rising for the royal family to enter. What's new in science this week? What's new in science this week? Bench Talk, the week in science. Bench Talk. Bench Talk. Bench Talk. You are now listening to Bench Talk, the week in science. Welcome to Bench Talk, the week in science. Bench Talk, the, the week, week in, in science. science. Singing the Royal Anthem of Sweden, always played at the beginning of the Nobel Prize ceremony held in Stockholm, Sweden every year. Dave Robinson here, and today on Bench Talk we're going to be discussing the winners of the 2021 Nobel Prizes in the Sciences, specifically Physics. That's the first prize of the year that the Nobel Committee announces. It's physics, and that's what we're going to focus on this week. We'll discuss other award categories later, like chemistry and physiology medicine. We'll do that in upcoming episodes. But first, just a little bit about the history of the Nobel Prize. 2021 is the 120th anniversary of the Nobel Prize. It was Alfred Bernard Nobel, noted Swedish chemist, engineer, and industrialist, who, when he died in 1896, bequeathed the bulk of his finances to establish the annual Nobel Prizes. And it's a pretty interesting story about how this happened. Of course, Alfred Nobel was most famous for inventing and patenting dynamite which was a very successful alternative to black powder, which is now known as gunpowder. Whereas black powder or gunpowder is a combination of sulfur, charcoal, and potassium nitrate, dynamite is made from nitroglycerin, which is a more powerful explosive than gunpowder, and it's easier to control. So this made Alfred Nobel a lot of money during his life, which was basically the mid to late 1800s. Alfred Nobel was a very successful businessman as he patented 355 different inventions, many of which were armaments for military use. Well, Alfred's brother, Ludwig, died eight years before Alfred's own death, and there was a big mistake that happened at that time. There was a newspaper in France that got confused. They thought it was the military industrialist who had actually died instead of the brother. And the title of their obituary was, The Merchant of Death is Dead. Well, that was a real shock to Alfred, and that inspired him to change his will. It was after that obituary that he bequeathed 94% of his wealth to establish the Nobel Foundation. 
and the idea was to award prizes to scientists, quote, who during the preceding year have conferred the greatest benefit to mankind, unquote. So the way I interpret this, Alfred Nobel was a scientist who might have been feeling guilty about how his military inventions were being applied, so he wanted to build a legacy of encouraging other scientists to pursue peaceful and more beneficial research. And he's still doing that 120 years later. Now, awardees called Nobel laureates win a nice gold medal, they get a diploma, and a hefty amount of prize money. It's now about $1.4 million, which can be split up to three ways if there happens to be a tie. And wouldn't you know it, in 2021, there was a tie in physics. It's three scientists who won this year. Two of them split half of the award money for their seminal research on climate change. And the third scientist received half of the money for his research on a substance called spin glass. Today, we're going to listen in on the Nobel Committee's press conference on the 2021 Nobel Laureates in Physics. I'll interrupt now and then to provide a little bit more explanation where appropriate, but let's go ahead and proceed with the press conference. This was held in Stockholm, Sweden on October 5th, 2021. Good morning and welcome to the Royal Swedish Academy of Sciences and this press conference about the Nobel Prize in Physics. It's good to see all of you here today. I'm Joran Hansen. I'm the Secretary General of the Academy, and with me today I have two members of the Nobel Committee for Physics. On my right, Hans Hansson, who is the Chairman of the Committee, and on my left, Professor John Wettlaufer, who is also a member of the Committee. The Academy met in session this morning. We have taken the decision on the Nobel Prize in Physics. We have contacted the laureates, and now we're here to tell you about it. I will read the announcement. Professor Hansson will make some remarks on behalf of the Nobel Committee, and Professor Wettlaufer will present to you the science behind the prize. Uh, here are some brief biodata. Shukuro Manabe was born in 1931 in Shingu in Japan. He got his PhD from the University of Tokyo, and he is, since many years, senior meteorologist at Princeton University in the United States. Okay, Dave here again. So in my mind, Dr. Manabe is the most widely known physicist winning the prize this year. He was born in Japan, and even though his parents wanted him to be a medical doctor, his heart was in the sky. He received all of his college degrees in meteorology in Japan, and then he moved to the United States in 1960 and worked for some 37 years doing basic research for the U.S. Weather Bureau. And what he tried to do was model the planet's climate. Now, modeling is a mathematical attempt to understand a process by identifying all the different factors affecting that process. So, for climate, for instance, they'd measure how phenomenon like wind, solar radiation, vegetation, soil, heat transfer, relative humidity, altitude, ice formation, and hydrology, 
how all those things interact to influence our climate. With this kind of modeling, you're talking differential equations and applications of fluid motion, thermodynamics, and chemistry. So it's not an easy thing to do. Well, in 1967, Dr. Monaby published a seminal paper using these models to show that as carbon dioxide levels increase in the Earth's atmosphere due to humans burning fossil fuels, the temperature goes up in the lower regions of the atmosphere, but temperatures go down in the elevations above that. And this is due to what's now called the greenhouse effect. Shortwave radiation from the sun passes through the carbon dioxide in our atmosphere, just like it would pass through glass, but it gets transformed into long-wave radiation, which is essentially heat, once it hits the Earth's surface. And that radiation is radiated upwards, but gets trapped by the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, thus heating the planet. Another first is that he and his colleagues were able to combine the circulation patterns of the atmosphere with the circulation patterns of the oceans. So they developed models that were so good, they could accurately be used to explain past climate change and predict future climate change. And this was all accomplished starting way back in the 1960s. By the way, Dr. Monaby is now 90 years old, and he is still working. In fact, he just published a book last year. So anyway, let's get back to the Nobel Press Conference, shall we? Klaus Hasselmann was born in Hamburg in Germany, also in 1931. He got his PhD from the Georg August Universität in Göttingen, and he's now at the Max Planck Institute for Meteorology in Hamburg. Hey, me again. Now, Klaus Hasselmann was born in Germany in 1931. His family fled Nazi persecution by moving to England, but then he moved back to Germany after World War II to get educated in physics and mathematics. His specialty was oceanography and climate change. He made a name for himself in the early part of his career by applying what theoretical physicists were doing with particle physics and plasma waves to the actual waves of the ocean. And then later in his career, he focused on developing climate models too, like Dr. Manabe did. But he focused on how seemingly random weather patterns, as well as the more predictable oscillations in ocean basin temperature, can cause the overall climate system to fluctuate. And so they'll talk about variability in climate systems, and that's a reference to Klaus Hasselmann's work. He was the founder of the prestigious Max Planck Institute of Meteorology, founded in 1975. In 1976, Hasselmann published a seminal paper on what is now known as the Hasselmann model, and that was used to describe stochastic or random climate variability. So I watched his entire Nobel lecture and was very impressed with its complexity. I can tell you, this man is brilliant and unbelievably, he is also now 90 years old, handsome and articulate. 
And by the way, we will include a link to all three of these physics lectures on our Facebook page. But anyway, let's get back to the press conference. Giorgio Parisi was born in 1948 in Rome, in Italy. He got his PhD at La Sapienza Università di Roma in 1970, and he remains at La Sapienza as professor. John, Wettlaufer, please tell us more about the science behind the prize. From a distance, complex physical objects can appear simple. From atoms to planets, taking a closer look always reveals structure. We are awash in complexity at every scale that we observe. And scientists, we ask, how much detail is required to explain the observations? Must we track every water molecule to explain the ocean? What length scales are important to understand if we are going to see what phenomenon emerge from such a system? One half of this year's prize focuses on the physics of Earth's climate. That's an old topic in physical sciences. It began in 1824 with Fourier. Fourier recognized that the atmosphere of Earth is ostensibly transparent to the visible radiation from the sun. And yet the Earth converts that visible radiation into what he called dark heat, the dark energy of Fourier's time. He surmised that this must interact somehow with the atmosphere to keep Earth warm. Scientists subsequently measured in the laboratory the absorption and emission of what we now call infrared radiation, Fourier's dark heat. And it was to take 70 years before Svante Arrhenius took these observations and these measurements and combined them in the first mathematical model of climate. And he predicted that if the concentration of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere increased, so too would the temperature of the Earth. Another 70 years, two world wars and the computer revolution would pass before Shukuro Manabe and his colleagues knit together this web of processes, including key aspects of the atmosphere's thermodynamics and dynamics, and made the first prediction, reliable prediction, that if you double the carbon dioxide in Earth's atmosphere, the Earth's surface temperature would increase by 2 degrees Celsius. And about the same time, Edward Lorenz taught us about chaos, that the weather is chaotic. It evolves rapidly and becomes unpredictable after about a week. Could it be that Lorenz's chaos was noise to the climate? So thought Klaus Hasselmann. He made the analogy between the rapidly varying weather and the slowly varying climate and Brownian motion from Einstein's theory whereby rapid collisions of water molecules with pollen grains displace them slowly over time. 
He then predicted that the weather on timescales of days influences the ocean on the timescale of years. He went further with these ideas and he constructed a systematic statistical way to compare measurements, observations, and models to extract the fingerprints of particular physical processes in the climate system. Now it's time for the third physics laureate, Giorgio Parisi. Galileo peered into outer space with his telescope. Giorgio Parisi peered into inner space with mathematics. Okay, take one more break. Giorgio Parisi is an Italian theoretical physicist who has very broad research interests, including field theory, dynamical systems, particle physics, condensed matter physics, and string theory. But he's particularly known for his work on spin glass. And I don't really have a very good grasp of what spin glass is, except that whereas the molecules that make up the regular glass we're used to, you know, the glass we put in windows, well, those glass molecules are pretty random. They bond in every which way possible. But with spin glass, you use ferromagnetic substances where charged iron atoms are all aligned in a single direction. So it's not all random. You know how iron magnets have a north pole and a south pole. But unlike magnets, only half of the atoms in the spin glass are actually magnetized, and so they have direction. The other half of the atoms are misaligned and point in different directions. No, brother, sorry, that's not a very apt description of his work. I listened to his entire 20-minute research lecture After all, that's my job here at Bench Talk. And I have to say that I really can't enlighten you any more about this topic. It was a lot of mathematical formulas and equations. But the bottom line is, he's helping to describe and predict complex systems. And he did make contributions in the area of climate change, since that is also a very, very complex system. Maybe the folks at the Nobel Foundation's press conference can help describe this research a little bit better. Let's go back to that press conference and listen in again. Galileo peered into outer space with his telescope. Giorgio Parisi peered into inner space with mathematics and asked questions about apparently banal materials like glass that were deep and impacted many areas of physics. We're used to taking a liquid, like water, and cooling it under normal circumstances. It freezes into a periodic, well-ordered structure. However, if we freeze the liquid very rapidly, it becomes another body. We call it amorphous. It has attributes of both solid and liquid. We can understand the difference between these systems in daily life because we see them in glasses all the time. Glasses fracture like a solid and yet flow like a liquid. We can consider their energies, their energy landscapes. The periodic solid has a simple landscape. 
A particle in a bowl can only find one place to rest. In a glass, the landscape is complex and rugged. It's not clear where particles will reside. They are frustrated. Giorgio Parisi studied a magnetic version of a glass called a spin glass. Imagine that we can decorate this triangle with magnets that can either have their north poles up, north poles down, or they can flip between north up and north down. However, we have the stricture that no two corners can have the same orientation. So when we place the third, it breaks the stricture, it breaks the rule. So another one must flip, which drives the flipping of another one, and so forth forever. The system is perpetually frustrated. Giorgio Parisi tamed this frustration, this complicated landscape, by building a deep physical and mathematical model, which was so broad that it has impacted a vast range of fields far beyond spin glasses. From how granular materials pack, to neuroscience, to how we compute, to random lasers, and to emergent phenomenon far beyond what he envisioned in the 70s when he started this work. Thank you very much, John. And it's now time for questions from you, ladies and gentlemen, uh, in the audience. Uh, we hope to have one of our Nobel laureates with us, uh, but I don't know if he is on yet. He is. Okay, very good. Professor Parisi, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Very good. Thank you for being with us. We are in the midst of the press conference. You're welcome. Thank you, for, thank you to you. Okay, you have watched it. Very good. And now we have journalists from Sweden and all over the world, and I'm sure they would like to ask you some questions. Who would like to start? Thank you. David Keaton over there from the Associated Press. Congratulations, uh, Professor, on, on this award. This award comes just a few weeks before the COP26 kicks off in uh, the United Kingdom. Do you have a message for world leaders that will be gathering to take decisions on ways to limit climate change, given the work that you've done, and today as a Nobel laureate, do you have a message for them? Well, I think that... Uh the thing, it is urgent, uh, it's very urgent that we take a real, a very strong decision and we move a very strong pace because we are in a situation where the, we can have a negative, positive feedback and that may accelerate the increase of temperature. So it's clear that for the future generation we have to act now in a very fast uh, way and not with a strong delay. Thank you. We have to act now. That was the message from Professor Parisi. Thank you very much, Professor Parisi, for being with us at the press conference, and congratulations again to your Nobel Prize. Okay, thank you so much. Goodbye. Bye-bye. And now, are there any questions to the panel? Yes, Lunda Gorgian. Thank you. So with this prize, are the committing hoping to send a message to world leaders about the gravity of the climate crisis? Yeah, you could say that the, the notion of global warming is resting on solid science. That's a message. John, Thank you want to add? I'll just emphasize that 
we have recognized here, I think, as you may have seen in the presentation, the real core of how climate has been understood and modeled from sort of its inception. And so our message is that we believe in physics um, and that we're recognizing that emergent phenomena sometimes require you to look at all the individual complicated physical mechanisms and knit them together to make a prediction. And to back to the question here, um, the overarching theme really does wed these uh, two approaches. Um, Giorgio Parisi's work looks at the underlying disorder and fluctuations and predicts emergent behavior. And the link between his work and Shukuro Manabe's work is the recognition by Klaus Hasselmann that fluctuations are key for predictability. And so we do not understand predictability unless we understand variability. And that, that's a, a, a key here. Thank you so Thank much. You. Professor John Wetlofer, could you summarize what this year's Nobel Prize is about? Yes. The overarching theme is what we could think about as an umbrella of complex physical systems. Of course, when we look out in nature, there are plenty of complex physical systems. But what emerged from um, the committee's work was the duality between the uh, study of Earth's climate, which is complex on scales from millimeters to the size of the planet, and Giorgio Parisi's work, on the other hand, which actually does com come back to climate, as he, as he mentioned uh, in the press conference, but he's building from the disorder and fluctuations of complex systems at their microscopic constituents and predicting the behavior, whereas the work of Shukuro Manabe is taking the components of individual processes and knitting them together to predict the behavior of a complex physical system. And Klaus Hasselmann sees both the value of the microscopic understanding and the implication of the macroscopic climate problem. And so I, I think that's a summary, even though we've divided the prize between the climate part and the disorder part, they really are linked. Thank you, John Wetlofer. It's a pleasure to talk to you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, that's it, the 2021 Nobel Prize winners for physics. We'll let you know more about the other Nobel laureates in future episodes of Bench Talk. And hey, did you know that it was 100 years ago exactly that Albert Einstein, only 42 years old at the time, was awarded his Nobel Prize in physics? That was in 1921. 
this year's physicists are in good company. And speaking of physics, did you know that the world's premier space telescope is being launched this Friday, December 24th, 2021? It's the James Webb Space Telescope, and it's blasting off at 7.20 a.m. Eastern Time on December 24th from its launch pad in French Guiana in South America. You could watch it live on either your cable TV, just tuned to the NASA TV channel, which is usually close to the C-SPAN channels, or just log on to nasa.gov to see a live cast. Well, we've got to go now, but you've been listening to Bench Talk, The Week in Science. See you next week. <laughs>